Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Nagler's Never Right here at PackersNews.com. I'm Aaron Nagler, your host, and uh, I'm back after a bunch of weeks off, some time spent uh, not really doing much of anything other than hanging out with my family uh, and going to see my extended family in Milwaukee. I'm back here on a stool in my bedroom talking into a microphone to you fine folks. I hope you're all well. hope you had a good summer. Uh, five teams had rookies report today. Not the Packers, but five other teams around the league here on Wednesday as I record. So officially, the NFL is back. We made it through the offseason. The Packers, of course, uh, convening for training camp starting next week. I fly into uh, Wisconsin on Sunday night. And I will be there throughout training camp for roughly a month. And you'll be getting all your regular goodness, including this podcast, as well as Facebook Lives pretty much every day. Um, mailbag will start up again. Morning Buzz has been back this week, as I'm sure some of you have noticed. And uh, yeah, the football machinery is about to spring to life. So I thought I'd hop on here and you'll go over a few things that have been kind of percolating around the the old uh, blogosphere, if you will. And uh, a little later on, I'll be talking to my colleague Rich Ryman about the Packers' finances. Uh, they released their latest set of numbers, obviously an annual tradition that I'm sure some NFL owners uh, maybe uh, hold their breath when it happens a little bit. Uh, Rich had a great column up about how he views what the Packers are doing uh, you know, financially and numbers-wise, revenue-wise. We'll talk to him about that. And we'll talk to Rich about the Titletown District, which uh, has been coming along. I saw a little bit of the progress earlier this summer. Uh, a lot more has been made since then. Rich has been documenting it all at PackersNews.com. Uh, that's a big, big deal going forward for the Packers to keep uh, financially relevant, so to speak, in the kind of brotherhood of the NFL. The money that you get to keep is the money you make locally. And that's what the Titletown District is all about. That's the driver behind it. Uh, it's a pretty important play for the Packers. Um, it's Mark Murphy's baby at this point. So we'll talk to uh, we'll talk to Rich about that. But right now, I want to dive in a little bit. Um, looking ahead, we've got um, you know, positional previews going on right now at PackersNews.com. Make sure you check those out. We've had quarterbacks yesterday. Today, I think they went up with the wide receivers. Uh, a lot more, obviously, to come. We've also had uh, previews of every single team the Packers are playing in 2017. So make sure you check all of that out. Um, and I also, I did a little video earlier this week, early last, late last week, um, about Greg Jennings' comments about Mike McCarthy being the, quote, problem when it comes to the Packers not winning more championships. Uh, he said this, obviously, on FS1, on their Undisputed program. Um, I said it in the video. I'll say it briefly here again. Um, I think it's a little disingenuous on Jennings' part. It's obviously a good way to get people talking about him and the show he's on, um, you know, the idea that Mike McCarthy's play calling has held the Packers back from winning more championships, more so than the Packers' defense, I think is a little silly. Um, can Mike get conservative in the fourth quarter with a lead? Absolutely. Of course he can. I think 98% of coaches can. Um, Jennings obviously cited uh, Bill Belichick as the model here, uh, the go-for-the-throat go type. Um, you know, that comes to that can come back to backfire on you uh, as a play caller. And it has uh, for the Patriots, maybe not necessarily in the playoffs, but it has before. We've seen countless times when Josh McDaniels has gotten too cute for his own good 
uh, with a lead. These things happen. And McCarthy, more often than not, traditionally will play the percentages. Um, Now that has come back to bite him, most famously in the NFC Championship game in Seattle in 2014. Uh, There are plenty of other instances. I know that people will undoubtedly email me or tweet me about them. But for the most part, I think McCarthy does a good job of handling a lead. Um, You know, I think the the, the evidence is there how many times Aaron Rodgers has uh, led an offensive either, you know, drive for field goals or touchdowns that the defense just hasn't been able to hold. Uh, There have been plenty of times when they've gone into overtime in the playoffs and Aaron Rodgers hasn't even touched the ball. Uh, That's on the defense. Now, there's obviously a lot more that goes into it, uh, but in the parlance of uh, Twitter and uh, the, the back and forth that goes on online, I think you know that, that's as, as neatly as you can sum it up. Now, I'm not absolving McCarthy here. Um, obviously, like I said, can he get too conservative? Absolutely. I think most NFL coaches can. Um, but it's also interesting that people want to kill him for being conservative, but then when he is aggressive, he also gets killed, whether it is going for it, uh, you know, on the fourth down against the Texans last year, which I thought was uh, a bit of a crazy call, and they didn't get it. It didn't end up costing them the game. But, um, you know, it's funny. I know a lot of people kill him for not going for it uh, in the Seattle game, kicking those field goals early. Um, but what no one talks about is, you know, if Jordy Nelson doesn't stumble coming out of his break, there's a touchdown on the board early, and they win that game. You know, oh, he wasn't aggressive enough. Really? He was throwing it down there. Rodgers put a pretty good ball there in the end zone. You know, Jordy just stumbled coming out of his break. That's not on McCarthy. You know, they're trying to win the game. They're trying to call plays that'll score points. It's just this hindsight, oh, you know, he wasn't aggressive enough. He was aggressive. He was plenty aggressive trying to get it in the end zone. It's just, you know, he's trying to play smart football, trying to take the points on the road in an NFC Championship game, especially when a few weeks earlier down in Tampa Bay, he had gone for it on fourth and goal and not gotten it. If that had happened in Seattle, people would be killing him for that. Um, Kind of the Mike Sherman thing that happened in Philadelphia in the 4th and 26th game where he had 4th and goal and went for it and didn't get it. These things, the the hindsight drives most of this. So I'm not going to spend too much more time on it, but I did want to address it a little bit since Greg Jennings made it a headline. Uh, And the other thing that I think a lot of people obviously have been talking about, uh, online anyway, the last couple days is this idea that um, speaking of defenses and, and, you know, defensive support and playoff games and championships and rings and goats, you know where this is going, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. It's the great debate between Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. Um, There's a great, great post up on Cheesehead TV that I think kind of sparked some of this conversation. And then ESPN did a piece um, interviewing uh, lots of ex-NFLers about uh, who's the GOAT, who's the greatest, who's this or that at the quarterback position. Um, you know, I don't think I don't think there's any doubt that Aaron, Aaron Rodgers has gotten a little less support than Tom Brady in his quest to bring rings to his team. Um, you know, whether it's defensive, whether it's head coach, whatever you want to call it, um, I just don't think any objective observer can look at that and say, Oh yeah, this is this has totally been a, a fair fight, so to speak. Now that said, I don't absolve Rodgers completely of everything here. Uh, I think he has um, been less than inspiring a few times in the playoffs, 
And I know people will point, like, in that NFC Championship game in Seattle, I think, you know, obviously playing on an injured uh, injured leg definitely hampered him. But I think there have been plenty of other instances where, you know, he has been less than at his best. And uh, whether that was in Atlanta uh, last year in the NFC Championship game, whether that was uh, against the Giants at home a couple times, I mean, you know, these things are... There's a lot that goes into it. There's so many complexities. And to break it down into this ridiculous back and forth, no, he's the goat, no, he's the goat thing on Twitter that has kind of engulfed my timeline the last 48 hours, I just, I don't know. I don't get too involved in it because I think it's a silly exercise. But I will say right here, right now, uh, I think Johnny Unitas is the all-time goat, and I think Joe Montana is the modern-day goat. So there you go. You have my opinion there. Uh, Unitas, just because I think he had a heck of a lot less support in doing what he ended up doing in the game of football at the quarterback position than guys do today. Everyone wants to talk about, oh, you know, the defenses are so much more complex and so much more athletic in this day and age. And that is true, undoubtedly. But so are, you know, everyone the quarterback is playing with on offense. So is, you know, they've got reams more information uh, that coaches are feeding them, quarterbacks these days. Uh, infinite complexities uh, to counter those uh, defensive uh, buildups, both athletically and uh, play calling wise. And you look at Unitas, who's calling his own plays, basically invented the two minute drill. Uh, he was playing against defenses that could clobber his receivers up and down the field. There were no liber- liberalized passing rules. Um, and Unitas still had the longest streak ever of, you know, throwing touchdowns. Uh, every game until, you know, Drew Brees came along with his Star Wars numbers, uh, which I still put an asterisk behind. Uh, but, you know, Unitas to me is the, the greatest to ever do it, just because of everything he had to had to deal with and go against. And then in the modern day, I still give it to Joe Montana. I just, I, going back, you know, it's funny because when Brady and the pa- Patriots won this latest Super Bowl, I definitely think there's obviously a legitimate case to be made for Brady to be the greatest of all time when it comes to the modern game. But going back and watching Joe Montana and going back and watching a lot of those 49ers teams and the games that he played in, he was just so insanely accurate. And even in his advanced age, even when he was with Kansas City, his ability to just set, drop, know exactly where he needed to go with the ball and the ability to deliver it, I didn't, you know, I don't think I will ever see the like again, someone as great as Joe Montana. But that's just my personal opinion, and that's all these are. And I can't wait for your angry tweets and emails but that's just me um anyway i'm rambling uh let's get to the good stuff let's get to rich ryman here uh, on nagler's never right talking packers finances title town district here at packersnews.com All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcoming in a man who needs no introduction, but I will give him one anyway, Mr. Rich Ryman from the Green Bay Press-Gazette, PackersNews.com. Rich, how the hell are you? Hey, you know, I'm doing good. Uh, Football season's not far away. (laughs) No, no, it is not. And uh, because of that and uh, various other reasons, flurry of activity there in Green Bay from the Packers franchise after a somewhat dormant offseason, but as we know, there is no 
real offseason in the NFL. Everything stretches out 365 these days, especially on your beat. Um, I just wanted to dive right in. I know the finances were recently released to the Packers financial report. As you wrote on Twitter, I'm sure there's a lot of owners around the NFL who kind of grit their teeth when this happens because it is the one time the public is allowed to kind of behind the curtain, so to speak, when it comes to the NFL, its member clubs, and how the money is made. Um, obviously, I don't think there were any real surprises. What, what were some of the highlights for you looking at the latest financial report? Well, the Packers uh, said they made $441.4 million last year, which is a record for them. Uh, I think that's that's always a highlight because that number has been going up ever since they finished uh, the 2003 renovation of Lambeau Field. And I wrote a little bit in my column on Sunday, too, uh, you know, if the Packers are making that much money, how much money are the Jerry Joneses of the world making? Right. And is that enough money for the Packers to keep up? Which is, as we get into a little bit maybe, that's why they're doing Town and a bunch of these other things because they, they have to keep up with... Uh, Literally with the Joneses. Well, very much so. And that is kind of the key component of the Title Town District. Uh, I mentioned it a little bit earlier on my podcast here. You know, the local money is the money that teams get to keep, uh, which makes Title Town that much more important. Um, what has the progress been like? I know Mark Murphy has spoken a little bit about the importance of it, but what, you know, Lots coming along here. Where does title the Titletown District stand at this moment? Well, uh, Lodge Kohler opened today, as a matter of fact, uh, and the Bell and Health uh, Orthopedics Clinic uh, is going to be opening uh, next week, the day after the shareholders meeting. Hairland Brewery has been open now since April. Uh, the the showcase part of this whole thing the uh, park and public park and plaza part is uh, coming along the uh, the tubing hill that they're building uh, is very prominent right now you can see the uh, the cement uh, that's going to be underneath all of this is in place uh, and that's all supposed to be done by the opening of the regular season so it's coming along there's a whole bunch of other things that they're going to be doing including a residential uh, component to this, which is 50 or so townhouses and maybe an apartment building. Uh, there's going to be some other retail and, and office things. They haven't announced the plans for those yet, but they're they're well underway and probably going to be doing that in the next couple months. What has the reaction been from local leaders in regards to the Packers kind of, I guess, spreading their wings a little bit here? They've bought up an awful lot of land. They continue to do so. Um, has that kind of ruffled any feathers, or has this just kind of been expected? Um, I don't know that I've heard any any feathers ruffling. Um, I, you know, a few uh, restaurant owners and stuff are, were a little concerned initially that they might be uh, undercutting some of their business, but I don't think it's, it's quite turned out that way yet. Uh, they bought all of the land in the village of Ashwabanon, so they only have to deal with one right. municipality, which was a wise thing to do. Uh, <laughs> and Ashwabanon, you know, Ashwabanon's pretty much uh, been in favor of it. They haven't uh, given given them a blank check, but uh, but they haven't been difficult to deal with either. Um, and it's an area that, frankly, before the Packers started buying it up, was in 
some pretty serious need of uh, some urban renewal anyway. Uh, so, so I think at least from a Schwabenon's point of view, they're very happy about all of this. Now, you wrote in your column, which you mentioned a little bit ago, uh, you wrote that the key number in the Packers financial report is revenue, uh, how much money is coming in the front door, so to speak. Why, why is that your contention? Well, because they can make the profit be whatever they want it to be, frankly, hmm. uh, because the money doesn't go anywhere. Right. It stays with the Packers. They don't pay dividends. They don't pay an owner to line his pockets or whatever. Uh, so, I mean, if the Packers wanted to fully invest all of that money into something that's going to help the team, they could they could theoretically break even every year and be doing just fine. Right. Um, you know, it, interestingly, and and I, I, just interestingly enough, the the year before the collective bargaining agreement was reached, when they were still in the negotiating phase and all mm-hmm. of that. The Packers only made $4 million that year. I remember. Um, and then the year after the collective bargaining agreement was in place, suddenly they were making 20 and $40 million a year. Hmm. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not necessarily implying anything, but I think, you know, they can, they can do what they want with that number um, based on the things they want to do with the team. Does that make it uh, that much more difficult for extrapolation across the league because of that fact, I mean, like I mentioned it earlier at the top, I do think that, you know, the NFL, other owners especially, maybe aren't big fans of the fact that the Packers have to open their books every year. Um, but, you know, because of what you're talking about there, uh, there's still, a, I wouldn't say a lot of mystery, but there's still, you know, a lot left to the imagination when it comes to uh, where money is going in other NFL cities. Well, right, and that's why another reason I would contend that the revenue number is probably of better use than net profit number. Right. Uh, because the revenue number, at least, uh, you're right, there's, there's still a lot we don't know, and, and the Packers are providing less information than they did before the collective bargaining agreement. They used to break it down a lot more. Mm-hmm. But you do get the national revenue number, which is, uh, pretty much what all the other teams are going to be getting as well, because that's the TV contracts and the NFL Network and all right. of that, um, and and uh, you know road revenue, road game revenue and stuff. So that I, I suspect is much easier to apply to the other teams. The local revenue part is a lot tougher because you know it varies across the board. You've got uh, uh, Jerry World, you've got uh, <laughs> Patriot Place, right. Um, you know, those guys are making a lot more local revenue than, say, maybe Cincinnati, which I don't know if they've got anything else for outside revenue. Sure. Um, but but those at least are, are solid numbers you can get a hold of. Um, and and I'm sure that a lot of people uh, who do this for a living, the Forbes of the world, use these numbers to extrapolate what the other teams are up to. Um you know, and none of those other teams have to provide any of this information. Right. Uh, do you think now, uh, this has been a long, you know, a kind of a running contention in the fan base, and I was wondering what kind of your viewpoint on it would be as someone who is very much in the weeds when it comes to the financial side of the franchise. Uh, you are all over everything that happens in the development of financially, whatever, the, the title town district, etc., do you get the sense, or do you buy the the notion that um, 
And I know there's supposed to be a Chinese wall between football and the finance side, uh, you know, the, the, the kind of franchise side. But do you buy the contention that Mark Murphy, you know, is loath to upset the apple cart, so to speak, on the football side when it comes to either Ted Thompson, Mike McCarthy, etc., because he just wants to get to the finish line of the Titletown district. He just wants to, you know, kind of keep the machinery churning, so to speak, and uh, allow that money to keep coming in. You know, they li- they may not win championships, but they're winning a lot of ball games, and that provides the cover he needs to get this baby done. Um, you know, I, I frankly, I've never really thought of it that way. I guess. Um, uh, I've never heard anything. Well, you're clearly uh, not on my Twitter feed, there, Rich. That's all I, <laughs> I am. I must pay. I have to pay closer attention, obviously. <laughs> um, I I think there's a lot of people who make up a lot of uh, reasons for why he keeps Ted Thompson around, uh, but you know, I'm a, I'm a little bit reminded of uh, I read a lot of Civil War stuff and. Uh, they were they were pushing Lincoln to get rid of George McClellan as as his general pretty hard, and to the point that one of the senators said, you know, Lincoln said, well, you know, who do I replace him with? And the senator said, anybody. <laughs> and Lincoln said, well, anybody will do for you, but I need somebody. And you know, I I tend to think that's a little bit where they are with Ted Thompson. I mean, sure you can replace him, but who are you going to replace him with? Right. That's going to be better. Um, they. The Packers in this town, they could go ahead with Title Town whether they're winning or not. You know, they're still going to make money uh, unless they go into another one of those 30, 30 uh, year swoons. <laughs> one of those, yeah. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. and we don't see any of that coming anytime soon. Right. Um, um, they, the, the 2003 renovation set them up for all of this. And uh, and the NFL certainly helped. The the uh, TV contract is just dumping bushels of money into their uh, coffers, uh, and and the NFL also has been providing you know money for uh, for loans for people to improve and expand their stadiums. Right. And the Packers have done all of that. Lambeau is is proved to be enormously successful as far as an income generator. Um, you've got the pro shop. You've got the Hall of Fame. It gets used for meetings and weddings every week of the year, um, and all of that is is money income to the Packers. Uh, right. So they don't have to rely just on what goes on on the football field uh, in order to make money, and that's sort of the point of Title Town. Now you mentioned uh, you mentioned the um, the money the loans that uh, that are kind of uh, doled out by the NFL for uh, stadium refurbishment for upgrades, etc. Uh, there was something that Mark Murphy said um, when the financial report was released that I found interesting. I highlighted it on Twitter uh, when he mentioned um, ticket prices and the idea that, you know, because so many new stadiums were coming online, well, we just had a new one in Minnesota. Atlanta has a new one opening in this year. Uh, there are a few more in, in the pipeline. Vegas is coming on board in, in a couple of years. Um, because of that, they, you're using that kind of as their justification for keeping raising ticket prices every year. And I, I had a couple of people push back on that in my Twitter feed. I thought it was an interesting point in regards to cost of living, medium incomes, etc. in the Green Bay area being by far and away the lowest in the NFL of all the 32 NFL cities. 
the 31, I guess New York has got two teams, but do you, do you buy their contention that they have to stay, you know, kind of keeping up with the Joneses as far as ticket prices go? Cause to me, like ticket prices, that's kind of one of the smallest revenue streams they have. Well, um, I tend to, I, I, I'm sort of a, split feeling on the whole thing they could certainly have lower ticket prices if they wanted to um it's not something that they that they're relying on you know for a lot of their income exactly it's not making or breaking them in any way shape or form but i also don't disagree with their contention or at least I, i i tend to have some belief in their contention that they are under a lot of pressure from their fellow uh owners in the nfl to keep their ticket prices higher than they had them when they had, I think they had fallen to like in the yeah, high twenties or yep, something. Yep, they were like hovering um, around twenty-four, I think, something like that. And, and they hadn't raised them for five years. I mean, mm-hmm. what other team hadn't raised its ticket prices in five years in the midst of pretty good success? But as, as the Packers like to point out. Uh, the other teams get like a third of the money from tickets when they come visiting here mm-hmm. and they look at the Packers waiting list of 130,000 people <laughs> and they, and they say, you know, uh-huh. why aren't you raising your prices? This is ridiculous. Right. We basically, what they're saying is we want our share and you, you should fork it over. Um, and so the Packers have, you know, decided for better or worse that if they stay around the league average, then they're sort of, you know, Splitting the baby, right. Um, right. the owners they'll, can't. They'll get holler, holler exactly. They'll get complaints from both sides, but they'll be minimal. Right, exactly. Um, and and I think there's some truth to that. I, I mean, do you think that the NFL owners don't push each other around oh, as much at, as they can? No question, zero question. Um, you know, so um, Packer fans don't like it. Obviously, uh, I wouldn't like it very much either. Uh, because the price is going up, and Murphy was pretty blunt about it, as you mentioned, yeah. with these new stadiums coming online, they're all probably going to leapfrog the Packers in terms of ticket costs. And every time a team gets ahead of the Packers, that means the average is going to go up as well. Right. I'm talking to Rich Ryman from the Green Bay Press Gazette and PackersNews.com. Uh, Rich, real quick before I let you go, uh, you know the lot coming online here with the season going to be kind of revving up, so to speak. We've, you mentioned the shareholders meeting next week. I'll be in town for that. Uh, and then camp kicks off a couple days after that. What else is going on uh, with the Packers, with the Titletown District? You know, what else is kind of in the works uh, as we head into the season here? Well, as I mentioned, Lodge Kohler opened uh, today uh, to the public, and, and certainly they invite um, Packer fans who happen to be coming into town for shareholders meeting or anything else. To, uh, to come and see it, uh, it's not cheap. It's a four-diamond hotel and it has four-diamond prices. But the, the restaurant, which is on the fifth floor and overlooks Lambeau Field, is open to the public. The cafe is open to the public. They've got a spa that's open to the public. So it's, there are other things you can do there if, you, if you're so interested. Or you can just go look at the place. It's, it's, it's pretty easy on the eyes. <laughs> um, on uh, uh, today, later today at Lambeau Field, the Packers are unveiling their uh, their new art project at Lambeau. If uh, if anybody's been to the Viking Stadium or to the San Francisco Stadium or I, maybe even the Giants, there's there's some others. But they've uh, 
done these big art projects that have just filled the stadium with all kinds of art related to the team and certainly the Packers history they've got a ton of it including quite a few photos that they got from uh, from our Press Gazette archives and uh, they're all going to be in the uh, premium and club seat sections um, and I was over there looking at it today there's like 500 pieces of art of just every conceivable kind uh, you know oil paintings and photographs and and text textiles and all kinds of things and it is every touches on every point of Packer history and the players and everything you could imagine. It's very, uh, very impressive. Um, and the team might do tours of that too, because, you know, your, your regular ticket holders, like the ones we were talking about a few minutes ago, <laughs> right. aren't, aren't necessarily going to get to see these things, but, uh, but they may do tours that allow people, you know, to get a better look at it. Cause it is, it is really something to look at. Well, there you go. Then we got we got the shareholders meeting. Oh, tomorrow, tomorrow's Thursday. I'm mm-hmm. losing track already. Yeah. The Johnsonville, Johnsonville Tailgate Village opens tomorrow. That's oh, yeah. The, the big structure they built to replace the tent that's been sitting out there uh, in the east parking lot for all these years. Uh, the, and, again, another revenue generator for the Packers because that will be available for rent uh, for meetings and weddings and, and what have you. Uh, we got shareholders meeting on Monday, and then on Tuesday – uh, the Bellin Title Town Health, the Sports Health Orthopedic Clinic opens, uh, and uh, that's going to serve the public. But also, uh, Dr. McKenzie, the Packers team physician, is going to be located there. So now he'll just be across the street uh, from Lambeau Field, and they've got four uh, fellowship trained uh, orthopedic surgeons there, including um, a fellow from, and I'm forgetting his first name now, uh, from uh, South Carolina, who's been doing, um, or North Carolina, I'm sorry, who's been doing all of the uh, uh, ankles. Uh, oh, right. For, McCarthy uh, raved about him earlier yeah. this offseason. Uh, and so he's going to be here uh, on hand, and certainly he will be working with Packers players. There will be world-class athletes coming here for treatment. But also Joe Blows, you know, jogging down the street and <laughs> turns his ankle and breaks it. Uh, the guy's going to be working on him too. So, uh, so that opens on Tuesday. So, and then as you say, training camp opens, and then people forget about all the stuff I do, and all they want to know about is football. <laughs> That's so not true. Not true in the <laughs> least. The obsessive, the obsessive Packer fans, they obsess over everything. You know this all the time. That's. That's true, and and we're happy for it. Absolutely. Uh, Rich, can't thank you enough for taking some time. Uh, Like I said, I know you're you're very busy this time of year. Uh, I appreciate you hopping on. Nagler's never right with me. Do do appreciate it. Thanks for the invite, and we'll see you when you get in town. There you have it, Rich Ryman, breaking it down as only he can. The man covers the beat better than anybody when it comes to off the field, comes to finance, when it comes to the actual operation of the franchise. Rich knows what's up. Um, big time thanks to him big time thanks to all of you for listening and for following me on Twitter and engaging um, Facebook Live like I said it'll be coming back next week so I hope to see you all there um, I hope to see you in Green Bay if, you, if you're if you around for training camp please don't hesitate to say hello um, and uh, I think at some point I'll probably have some kind of tweet up um, I know subscribers if you are a subscriber to the Green Bay Press Gazette we will be having an event Tuesday night 
in Green Bay at the distillery across the street from uh, Nitschke Field there. Um, check the Green Bay Press Gazette website for details. Uh, subscribers um, will be having a, a question and answer session um, heading into training camp. All my colleagues from the Green Bay Press Gazette will be there. Um, so make sure you're there for that. But if you can't make it for that, and you're going to be in town, say, later in, in, in during training camp, uh, I'll definitely going to try and look into some kind of tweet up. Hopefully you, you can you can be there. And if not, even if you're just out for the afternoon or some morning or some evening at Raynitschke Field, say hello. Uh, always happy to talk some Packers with everybody. Um, and like I said, we're almost there, people. Here we go. The machinery is coming back to life. Happy to be back with you here on Nagler's Never Right. We'll talk to you soon.